Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fancy ghost stories, ancient legends, honors, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From far away lands to your own back dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Uh, let me get my light on here. Huh. The internet's kind of acting wonky again, so if, uh, if it's stop in the middle and reschedule the show, but hopefully it holds up. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host. Hopefully for the next hour. Owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. Yeah, there it goes. Um, and it's because it's a holiday. Everybody's home. They're on the web looking at something. So I'm fortunately I'm gonna have to reschedule with that. Yikes! 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 Um, we could try to do this. I don't know how bad the cutbacks are. Try it, see what happens, and then maybe we'll, if it gets really bad, we'll have to cut off and not do it because we're gonna be sliding it out here. The California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up in down the state to you. Uh, it might take us a couple hours because the state's huge, but we can get to you. As you can see, I've got my Santa Aloha. I've got my Christmas tree back here and uh, starting to get into it. Decorate my front yard. been working all day. Off and on in between. Anyway, we also have affiliates in Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and Hawaii. So if you have any issues there. How to find us? Facebook. We are also on Twitter under CalHaunts. Uh, you can get us on Instagram under Ghosty Gal, all lowercase, just me, me uh, us. You can find us over at TikTok, and that is under California Haunts. I think I got everybody. I think I got everybody. That's the way to find us. And if you're watching from Facebook, okay, we'll give it a couple more minutes. If you're watching from Facebook, and you like what you see, you know, by uh, liking and uh, liking, liking and uh, hitting because we're looking for followers. We're always looking for followers. But anyway, um, I will try to get the show started. Okay, guys, I'm going to bug off. This is not happening tonight. Um, what happened tonight? I'm going to try, what I'm going to try and do is do a quick shutdown. And see if I get back in. Let me. I'm gonna crash the internet. Here. All right. I want to crash it down. Okay, let's see what happens now. There's so many people online in this neighborhood. I'm, I've got actually got an upgrade for a new modem and everything that's on its way. But there's so many people online in this neighborhood, it's insane. Just insane. But anyway, maybe this will stabilize it a little bit. We'll find out. I haven't disappeared yet. That's a good sign. So let me get my banner going. And we'll bring in our guest. Uh, my guest tonight is an investigator. And he has discovered, along with somebody else, another investigator, this place called Marley Woods. 
and they're uh, spook lights, just like you know, like, like some of the ghost lights people talk about. I've actually had an experience with, with ghost lights. Uh, we were doing this case up in um, Plaster, not Plasterville, but Camino. And uh, this client came out and said, you, you have to go out and look over the river. And I said, what river? He says, well, the, the gorge is right there where the river is. And go check it out because there's these, these ghost lights that float out above, you know, the river out there. And I mean, there's no way anybody could do this. This is like in the middle of nowhere. The roads are miles away. And sure enough, there's a, we were able to see a couple ghost lights out there. And it was over the, the River Canyon. It was crazy, you know. And the only thing that he thought of was that um, there was a car down there that had crashed, that looked like it had crashed. And he thought maybe it was those people that were out there. But uh, that's my experience with ghost lights. So let me bring our guest on, and uh, let's hope. It looks like we're pretty stable right now, and uh, see how things go. All right, here we go. Good evening, sir. Hello. Good evening. Glad to be here. Sorry about that. Sometimes the internet gets unstable. Lots of people on on the same internet in my neighborhood. No, I'm used to that. I'll tell you, it follows me around. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me about you. Okay, uh, I'll make a quick short story here. Uh, I got involved in ufology at a young age and uh, contacted Walt Andrews, the founder of MUFON, on a four-hour phone call. I live in a rural area, and uh, I did my own research since 1969, and, and the gentleman was gracious enough to invite me to be in MUFON and make me a state director, uh, assistant state director and section director, and uh, then he put me gave me the phone number to call for the state direct, director at that time, Bruce Wittemann, which was a good friend of mine. We formed a close relationship and we just lost Bruce this year. He passed away. And, uh, but anyway, uh, I got involved with MUFON and Bruce Wittemann got me uh, some proper training with a retired air force colonel uh, named Jim's cross. And uh, he taught me, the proper way to do things and move on and investigate. So, and um, then I got hooked up with Ted Phillips and that's history. And of course, Ted Phillips is the world renowned physical trace expert worked mm -hmm. with Dr. Alan Hynek, you know, from project blue book. And uh, so I had a, had a great training and couldn't have bought that kind of schooling anywhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me what, what's up with the Marley Woods. I, I, I know there's spook lights out there. And like I said, I've, I've seen spook lights firsthand here in California. So uh, yeah. tell me about the Marley Woods. Yeah, uh, Marley Woods, I know your viewers are more familiar with, uh, of course, Skinwalker Ranch. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a short time, we were affiliated with the, the original owner, uh, Robert Bigelow. Uh, mm -hmm. We were we worked with one another. And, and I do know the the director of the new skinwalker show is a good friend of mine. And, uh, but we'll go into that. And we had some things planned and, uh, but Marley Woods has everything virtually skinwalker has. It had uh cryptid activity, light ball activity, an unseen force. We called it, which would knock down steel gates, break log chains, uh, agroglyphs, which are called crop circles, uh, just you name it, we had it out there, the light beam phenomena, which injured people, myself included in that. And uh, we had cattle mutilations uh, to the degree that I have a good friend, Chris O'Brien, I'm sure you've probably heard of, San huh? Luis Valley. Uh, Chris was a good friend of mine, and uh, 
but we had horse mutilations. So uh, we're just parallel. And and th through Ted Phillips working with Alan Hynek, uh, they worked as a team with Jacques Vallée. And mm -hmm. Jacques Vallée actually spent time and worked with us out in Marley with Douglas Trumbull, uh, the special effects master, you know, 2001, Close Encounters. And on and on, I could tell you, Stan T. Freeman was a friend of Ted's. He worked with us. So, um, and Jacques Vallée actually said he, he saw a higher potential for strangeness in Marley Woods than at Skinwalker. So that's saying quite a bit. What makes an area, I mean, I know it's hard to say this, but why is the area so attractive to extraterrestrials and other paranormal stuff? That, I will tell you, drove Ted Phillips crazy there. He looked into it, the topography, geologically, uh, native culture. Uh, he could find, we could find nothing that set Marley Woods apart from any other location in Missouri. And I will say it's in Missouri for a long time. We wouldn't even divulge that, but mm -hmm. it's it's two ranches. One comprised of 1,200 acres, one comprised of around 750 acres, and uh, two different property owners, I might add. And um, so that's a lot of real estate in a remote area, lock-gated community. You're dealing with off of small paved roads, gravel roads, and the roads we worked on were dirt roads. So um, that eliminates any interference and made it a pristine research area. So uh, I wish I could tell you what set it apart. I can't do that. But I will tell you one thing that now the time we live in now that I am very good friends with the current state director, uh, Debbie Ziegelmeyer, which you may have heard her name before. She's been on other TV shows and she's the state director and board member of MUFON. And, um, she has informed me that there is actually three new sites in Missouri approaching the highness, the strangeness of Marley Woods. And I have another state director that's a friend of mine. And um, I worked on with Ted a project Moonshaft, which I can go into later, but uh, that's in Slovakia. And I have people there I contact and, um, and I will tell you that this phenomenon is growing worldwide right now. So uh, I do believe the dimensional barriers are, are weakening and you're seeing a lot more of this coming through right now. That the, yeah. Well, I've always, well, you know, it's been discussions I've had with psychics on my team, you know, that that veil is thinning, you know, between us and the paranormal. So maybe that's what's going on, you know, all this activity is coming. And maybe a lot of it too is people, um, you know, because they see the, like they see you on TV or whoever on TV talking about this stuff. It makes people more aware of the stuff going on around them. Yeah, it's and, you know, for a long time, I, I just wanted to throw in that Ted Phillips, my mentor, was a nuts and bolts man. He he did the physical trace. He did mm -hmm. soil compaction test. Uh, he was a nuts and bolts man, as I was in the beginning. I wanted to do structured craft. I didn't want to get into paranormal or cryptid, um, but Ted went where the data led him. And mm -hmm. I also did. And, and Dr. Ellen Hynek went, was that way towards the end. And I will tell you that as Ted said, that Alan said that this is the, the idea these are aliens coming from Alpha Centauri 
is much too simplistic that it, it is in the paranormal realm. It's all phenomena that is uh, frequency-based and driven. And uh, the dimensional aspect of it is concerns it all. And, uh, and we dealt with a lot of paranormal at Marley and uh, poltergeist activity. And uh, so it did, it was a learning experience, but I will tell you that the, the people I worked with, that the experts in this field above my pay grade, all come to one determination that this all stems from one source. The structured craft, paranormal, everything is, comes, it's dimensionally based and, and it's all related. So that is one commonality that we came away with and they proved. That's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And tell me about, you just, you just mentioned poltergeist activity. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, when, when we worked out in Marley, uh, we never knew what we were going to be hit with from day to day. If it would be a, a cattle mutilation, light ball activity, paranormal activity. And, um, as, as I, we were so fortunate, like I said, to have Jacques Vallée and Douglas Trumbull out there together at one time. And, uh, and, and Douglas had a very expensive piece of camera equipment. He put in one room and, um, put it to the North window because it was the, the weather was bad outside mm -hmm. and the property owner locked the cabin door. And this was on a very a heavy piece of camera equipment that he had made motion activated and uh, EMF activated. And it weighed the whole thing weighed about 75, 80 pounds, put it on a locked tripod and the property owner locked the door. The next morning we went in to look at the, what it had captured. And Douglas actually got mad at this, wanted to know who was messing with him. Uh, the camera had been turned 30 degrees away from the window. Whoa. So, you know, what does that? Uh, and that was the poltergeist type activity that we had. And, um, and we experienced things personally. Uh, you know, when we would sleep in, I myself, things would, in the middle of the night would, would wake you, shake you physically, and you'd wake up. And myself, I had an overwhelming just sense of euphoria uh, and get up and go out on the deck and expect to see the mothership. And and there was nothing there. And it would turn to depression almost. And uh, we documented that and several people out there. And uh, it, it was truly a, a paranormal events we had. And uh, so, you know, we encrypted activity we had was Everything from skinwalkerish, as you can imagine, hooded, wolf-like fig figures. Uh, and when these things cross the dimensional boundaries, they are as real as you and I are. We took physical trace. We had tracks we poured cast in. We had 16-inch white long hair that we did microscopy on and some crude DNA work in the day. And they came back no known match. And, and this was a critter that the property owner who could weigh cattle on the hoof estimate within pounds. Uh, they estimated this at three to 400 pounds, this animal. And uh, so it just was a wide range of, of cryptids out there, some Bigfoot sightings um, and some DNA work done out there along other places. Mm -hmm. um, so it just, you name it, we had it out there. 
That's incredible. And the owner, how, how did you guys find out about this? Did, did, did the landowner get, get a hold of you guys or how'd that work? Yeah. Um, and around, I would say around 91, the property owner reached out. He was wanting answers because this goes back three generations that we could tell in one family that was there. We suspect it went into Native American culture, uh, but there's no presence there of them now. And so we can't, we can't prove that. But we truly do believe it went back as far as recorded history we could find. And uh, the property owner wanted answers. So the only thing he could find was, uh, again, the mutual UFO network, which had its origin in Missouri, actually. Before it was a mutual UFO network, it was the Missouri UFO network. And uh, Walt Andrus and John Schusler started that, and they were engineers in the space program. And, uh, but anyway, the property owner at Site One reached out to MUFON and Bruce Witteman, which was my close friend that just passed away, he contacted, he knew Ted Phillips. And at that point, Ted wasn't in, in MUFON. He, Ted went in and out of MUFON whenever he had time. And, um, but, but Bruce asked Ted for a personal favor, if Ted could get out there and investigate this occurrence out at Marley Woods and he was pretty busy and he kind of put it on the back burner for a while. And he started reading the cases. And I will tell you the property owner in site one is a prolific. He just, he, he's a great writer. He and take logs and photographs. And when Ted started reading some of his logs, he got out there within a week and started investigating this. And that's how it started back in the nineties. So, mm-hmm. um, and it went on and it, it had, peak times when the activities would peak and then there would be low periods when it would go down. But uh, there was always some activity there, but that's how Ted got involved in it and how it it became known. You know, there's there's something out there that could mutilate cattle. Were were you guys a little bit leery about, you know, being out there in the field? Yeah. It, you know, it's, we, we never put a finger on exactly what was doing this. Uh, we had, uh, and it gets very graphic. We had one horse barn incident where a man's prize horse was literally in a barn one morning. He checked on it. He fed it some sugar and he goes back. And it's a, it's a long story, but basically he was within sight of the barn. And within 30 minutes, he uh, went back. As he checked the fence line, he went back by the barn and see the saw the gate ajar. He goes in the barn and finds his horse, like he described it, as it was in a slaughterhouse. There are pieces of horse flesh all over the inside of the barn, as if it exploded, blood all over. And we got out there around seven weeks later. We we were trying to get a presence out there, but we got out there whenever we could. And uh, but no known explanation for this. And uh, you know, there's been deer in the area found, 13 deer on a hilltop found, and the vet examined it, not lightning or couldn't put his finger on any cause, but 13 mm-hmm. deer laying there dead. So, and very graphic horse and cattle mutilations in the area. So, you know, and we, we more or less just came, and there is an intelligence out there, I will tell you. Uh, one thing we logged and we knew we dealt with it, uh, there's an intelligence out there, and it we feel we actually feel that a lot of this was done 
uh, to use fear as a tool to manipulate people and the ranchers out there. And um, so that's the only thing we could come up, up, you know, any kind of an answer for this. But uh, and but it gets involved in that, you know, and it just uh, and and I will say I, I don't know if you're familiar or not with uh, uh, UFO witness and Ben Hansen. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if you knew we filmed a, an episode of that with Ben and Melissa Tittle out there in Marley. And I, I, I don't know if you had a chance to see that or not. I haven't yet. No, it's uh, the episode is called the Nordic in the cube. Okay. Nordic's in the cube episode. And uh, so I, I will tell you it's worth watching. Uh, ben and Melissa were great to work with. And, and I've known Ben for years and he, he followed Ted Phillips for years before the show. And uh, so we knew each other before we did that episode. But um, we had very dramatic things happen with them on that episode. Uh, And everything you'll see in that episode is real and it happened out there. But I will tell you from the time Ben and Melissa got to the property, they were apprehensive. Uh, They pulled onto the property. They started having equipment failures. Ben and Melissa, as you'll see in other episodes, they synchronized their watches. And Melissa had a new watch. A really nice watch and got onto the property her new watch went dead she told ben they she checked her synchronization with ben it was dead her watch was dead camera packs were going dead um uh, and there truly is like skinwalker the original people mm-hmm. uh, when you interject strangers on the property uh the presence out there the intelligence doesn't like it and I just might add that the, the property owner, which was a man in his 80s, I've known for years, a close friend, uh, two weeks before we went out to film that episode, he calls me up and he says, well, Tom, he said the the, the water tank just blew out on, on site two and three. We won't have any running water or restrooms for anybody. And then a day before we were going to go out there, they had an unusual, he'd never seen a rain like he had that night. It virtually almost washed out all the dirt roads, which had never happened to that degree. Mm-hmm. And he asked me if I'd like to, if we wanted to try it yet. And I said, yeah, I believe we do. And uh, so we got out there and it was, it was just a great task not to get, to get vehicles from being stuck and get around. But it, it they felt a presence on the, the property when we got out there. The property owner wanted to film with us that night, and uh, he got sick. He had to go home. He was got weak, which was a big disappointment. So that mm-hmm. hit us. And uh, then, Melissa, we start filming, and my hearing is bad from years of working in a machine shop. And uh, But Melissa picked up on it first and tapped Ben. Uh, all the night sounds, insects, everything at one point, and we got that on film out there went dead and and we all felt like something could happen at any time and um then i i was went with ben and he had a very expensive piece of thermal imaging equipment we got up in a deer stand and and ben asked me he said well i got something right now and he said i I can't tell if that's an animal or and i from my experience with the light balls that we had in the past in marley i said 
well, no, Ben, that's spherical and it's off the ground. And he said, oh, yeah, you're right. And uh, so we picked up on this light ball that was forming and we tracked it. And um, then his several thousand dollar piece of thermal imaging equipment just shut off in midstream. And I asked Ben, I said, has he got a habit of doing this, Ben? And he said, no. And it came back on and he got it for a brief instant and pointed with a laser pointer for his team on the ground to go after this thing, this light ball. And um, then it just, it, as it dissipated or like it went through back through the barrier. Uh, and, and I had wished that over the years, Ted and I had had that piece of equipment because I thought how many times we might've monitored or seen this light ball because you couldn't, I had thermal, Im Ben had thermal image. I had night vision and the crew had some night vision and just the naked eye and, the only thing we could pick this up when it formed was with the thermal imaging unit. So I really feel over the years had we had that, we could have seen this thing. I don't know how many times it might've been around us that we couldn't pick up on, you know? So, mm -hmm. uh, but that night it was just went on and on from there. Uh, I had a piece of equipment. I, uh, because I always felt it was, if I brought anybody on the ranch cause Microwave energy was the, what we felt did the damage to people out there and animals again. And I had a piece of equipment that was just focused on that spectrum microwave energy. And it had a, a visual cue, you know, green, yellow to red and audible okay. cue. And three times in the middle of a field that night at three in the morning, this thing went off into the danger zone. And I told Ben several times that night and Melissa that, I, I really feel that this intelligence is letting us know it's monitoring us. And with all my heart, I know it, it, it's, it's letting us know what it's capable of doing because I had seen it, you know, damage myself included uh, health effects on people. But um, so it's, it is an intelligence that's out there when it comes through. And, um, you know, we can go into that realm, which I've learned a lot about, but, but it's just uh, they they really had a learning experience, I will tell you. You know, I'm thinking about Missouri because Missouri is a little bit like some of the areas we have in California where there's a lot of caves. And then you've got a lot of limestone and then you've got water down there, you know, and it's raising the EMF levels. And, and you think that could be part of this or you think maybe some, someone is coming to to maybe look for minerals and whatnot? You know, we examined that. Uh, there are no cave openings on the properties. There is a couple large, one in particular, large cave complex we found, and we explored that. And uh, we got down in there, and we had our equipment. We didn't get any strange readings, never had any activity in this large cave. We did feel that this cave complex could extend underneath Marley. Uh, so we can't rule that out. Uh, but but we never came up with anything concrete out of that. And of course, Missouri is a cave state, you know, so uh, it's, you can never, you're never far from a cave in Missouri. <laughs> no, absolutely not. That's why I was thinking about that. Cause I know a lot of the, cause you say, you know, certain times of the year, a lot more happens than other times of the year that happens up, up, up in our gold country as well. You know, because we do have that limestone in, in those caves and the water is rushing. And when the water is rushing is when we get more, they, they get more paranormal activity because obviously that, that makes the EMF go up and all that. Yeah. 
yeah, it's, uh, but, but, you know, we couldn't come any, away with anything concrete on that. And, uh, but, but Marley Woods, I, I will tell you for, and that goes into, I've been covering now, you know, I'm going, been going into with some friends of mine that I, I still do research with and through Bruce Whitteman, uh, Bruce and I had worked with the disclosure project actually with some people in the government at one point and, I will tell you, it got very involved and uh, and a lot almost came out of that. And but I, I truly believe the people in context I have that so many people ask me about disclosure with this type of activity and structured craft. And I always have to tell them that through the people I've, I've known personally and uh, been fortunate to be with, I there's an event called the, the false flag event that they all they have the same structured event basically mm -hmm. is going to occur and the activity paranormal is everything's coming to a peak and um, basically what that is at some point we felt that there's going to be an event uh, when mankind is at its lowest or worst and of course watching the news nowadays I don't think we're too far from that event. But um, it, what, what's going to come across, I will tell you, is the same intelligence. And, and this is a lot of ufologists like to throw rocks at me and in our group at times. They don't want to go there. But uh, we just truly believe that the, what's perceived as aliens, and they're not even honest about that. We truly believe this is an intelligence that's dimensional, that's coming across. And... It's not from Alpha Centauri, as, as even as Heineck said, you know, that's too simplistic of you. Now, that doesn't mean that it can't be interplanetary, but it, as I had it explained to me, uh, it, it's dimensionally based that you have to go through the dimensional portals, which we had three at Marley, we felt, and Ted captured things on photographs of things coming in and out of that. And uh, so, and even, you know, I, I will just tell you at this point that, uh, of course, I've said this recently that, that Stanton T. Freeman was a friend of mine and he kind of broke my heart, you know, in early day, I was a Star Trek. I was a Trekkie fan when I was young mm -hmm. and, uh, and Stanton and I would talk about that and, and he'd tell me, he said, well, Tommy said, you know, it, it can't be done like that. The physics, uh, that's not practical. And I, I would tell him, well, why do you think that, Stan, or how, why? And and he would tell me, he said, well, he said, look at it this way. He said, the physics involved, he said, to take a solid object the size of a pea to attain light speed would take the combined energy output of the earth for 100 years. So it, and that broke my heart when he, he laid, and I'm not going to argue with a nuclear physicist, believe me. No. Uh, but he said, when you go dimensionally, and you cross that boundary, you can go interplanetary in that regards. But uh, the physics just don't make sense or not practical on this side to ever attain that kind of, of speed. And, uh, you know, and, and I've just got to go with the people I've worked with over the years. And uh, they just, they were great people to work with. And I'm so fortunate. Uh, and it goes on and on. I've worked with friends with a gentleman named Ray Stanford. I don't know if you've ever heard that name. I haven't. No, sir. Uh, he wrote a book. Uh, 
Socorro Saucer in the Pentagon Closet. Uh, he did the Lonnie Zamora Socorro landing case, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure you're probably familiar with that. And uh, mm -hmm. and Ted was there with, you know, Alan Hynek and Ray Stanford were there investigating that. And uh, so I've been exposed to some of the best people I feel and been so fortunate. And uh, if I have to put my money on any kind of hypothesis or answers, they are where, who I put my I'll put my money on, you know, it's. How big of an area is Marley Woods? It's, it's actually around two miles north and south and three miles west and east. And uh, so that's a lot of real estate, you know, for, at most our, t our team com was comprised of one time we had five people in it out there, but usually it would, it usually be down to, to three people or, or just at times 10 to myself. And, um, and when we were working with Bigelow, we, we'd hoped to get a permanent uh, fixture out there, a permanent presence, you know, uh, but that never worked out. But, but I will tell you that, uh, you know, and it, it was such a, you know, uh, for me personally, when we did with Ben and Melissa, what had happened after that, and I just might tell you that that night when Ben and Melissa and the crew left, I was the last one out there, and I don't spend as much time out there anymore as I'd like to. Uh, it is a difficult trip, but that night after everybody left, I locked up the cabin for the property owner, made sure the lights were out, and a week later, you know, the property owner let me know. He said, well, Tom, he said, I felt better the next day. I went out there. He said, you guys, I don't know. I thought you were out there, lab, but he goes, the, the lights were on and all the doors were open. <laughs> and I assured him that I said, well, you know me. I, I checked. I said, no, they were all locked and the lights were off when I left. And uh, so, and it's a gated community, you know, property, a ranch, 1,200 acres, dirt road to a gravel road to a pavement. And uh, there's nobody else was in there. So there again, you had that poltergeist type activity that occurred. And mm -hmm. and then after that, three weeks, four weeks, I think it was after that, uh, the family let me know that the gentleman, which was my friend, the property owner, site two and three in Marley, had had a stroke and passed away. And uh, so we were looking forward to doing a lot more out there. And uh, with Ben and Melissa and the group, we even had plans with that group to do a show out there. Of course, the family didn't want anybody else out there. They shut it down. They were afraid anybody else injured. And I agree with them. So except for me and a team member, there's nobody else access on that property. Mm -hmm. So then that night when that show ran with Ben and Melissa at, at 1030 at night, the property owner called me a site one. And over the years, there had been a rivalry actually between the two property owners that, you know, one said, no, more activity just happened in my place. No, it's happening more at my place. And uh, the property owner site one said, he said, Tom, I watched the show. I really liked it. I'd like to do something like that in my place. And uh, so I said, well, are you sure you want to do this? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I'll see what I can do. So just out of a fluke and a coincidence, well, I don't believe in coincidence, but I'm good friends with a, 
one of the producers at Skinwalker. And next season, they were, they're starting a new show, another episode, another spinoff of Skinwalker. And uh, they wanted to base part of it on Marley Woods. So I said, well, it's good timing. I think I can get you guys on there. I think we can maybe do this. Mm-hmm. So I got back to the property owner and I said, well, good news. I think we're, we can do a show out there. And like we did with Ben, only a different group, the Skinwalker people. And uh, he said, oh, that'd be great, Tom. So I got contacted the people and we made plans. And, and two weeks before we were out there, to, we're going to start shooting. The property owner called me back up and he said, he said, Tom, it, it's all off. We can't do it. And I, I said, I said, you know, you realize I told these people to make plans. We were going to do this. And he, he's, he's a great guy. Also, I will tell you, great man. And he mm-hmm. said, I know, Tom, I'm sorry I put you in the spot, but I talked to the family. He said, we don't want anybody else out here. We don't want anybody hurt. And the family just decided that we don't want to do this. And I, I've got my own ideas what happened and the reasons. But so you can imagine the spot that put me in. I had to get back to these people within two weeks. And I'm going to go out there and shoot and uh, that it was all off. So. So for right now, uh, all plans are off to get out and do much more filming at Marley. Um, But we have other avenues we're working on. uh, The Moonshaft Project, and uh, I'm working with people now and uh, on the false flag scenario involving part of Marley. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's where we are right now. When you talk about the portal, tell me about that. Yeah, the the portal, we felt we had three. One that was a, a constant that was very, it was very prolific and uh, directional and, and pretty regular. And we knew the exact location. And this thing would appear as a bright light, orange, yellow light, almost like a burning in the woods at times. And, um, and I just might add, for anybody that's interested, uh, I, I have a uh, Marley Woods, Ted Phillips research page on Facebook and my own personal Facebook page. You can get any of this on. And I have a YouTube channel with several little movies. For, you can get on there and watch it free of charge. I have some imagery, some video of the objects we caught in the portals, structured craft. Ted Phillips' whole history from the very beginning, a lot of my history, um, a, a, a little movie on Marley Woods tells the whole story, a lot of photographs. And uh, and then I have the interview we did, I did with Jacques Vallée when Ted Phillips passed away. I have a, a his dedication to Ted and I interviewed Jacques Vallée and that's all on this, my YouTube page. You can watch that and Seeing the man, Jacques Vallée, speak about Marley, it doesn't get any better than that, I will tell you. Absolutely. Um, how do you know those are, the, the, are, are, how do you know that they're portals? Besides us actually viewing things coming in and out of these, it had an energy mass that we measured that was unlike anything Ted had ever seen in his experience. And like Ted said, 
you know, in his early days too, when he was after the structured craft, he mm-hmm. said, Tom, if, if I'd have said portal back then in those days, I wish somebody would have just smacked me, but he came to believe this and that's what he proved. And Ted was a scientific mind that went where the data led him. And he taught me to be that way also over the years. And, and that is what these things are. And we found out that, which explains a lot in ufology, they are very directional. One Mm -hmm. time I, uh, Ted and I tried to get, we, we've seen this, from the deck on site one, we had our own office. The property owner built Ted an office, two-story structure with a deck. We seen the light, the portal come on, and uh, Ted and I were going to get to it. We drove to that exact location. We had we saw no artifact of the portal, the light at that point, and just as a fluke, I stepped on my brake light, and the property owner back on site one which was viewing the the portal or the light at that point. He said, well, Tom, you have to see it. I can see your your brake lights right next to it. And we got out of the vehicle and and we were on radio contact. We said, we have nothing here. We can see no artifact of the light, the portal. Mm -hmm. Um, So we learned at that time it was, they're very directional, which explains so much again. Um, Mm -hmm. But but, you know, we can go into the portal aspect of this and what we what we truly believe the phenomena is and what what Ted, we believe we proved. And uh, and now this goes into a realm a lot of people aren't going to want to go into. But <laughs> OK, well, let's talk about it. We're good. I want to go into. OK, <laughs> uh, well, I will tell you that. A lot of the old timers and the, the people that live around the ranches, they developed a, a unique ability to perceive whenever the activity would start, they almost could predict this. And a lot of the old timers would go in their house, lock the doors, they wouldn't come out. They viewed this as all demonic. Okay. Now, there again, yeah, that's an area back when I was young, you know, uh, I would have stayed away from, but I will tell you over the years, um, this all has that, that intelligence we believe coming through and some people I worked with over the years, I, I will tell you that I absolutely believe that this intelligence and everything we're dealing here with the paranormal stems from the same place. And, as the Native Americans called all this, they called them the tricksters. They will be whatever you want them to be or you're looking for. They will. Now, that doesn't mean when they come across and assume that shape that they're not a physical shape. Mm-hmm. They absolutely are when they take that form. As the skinwalkers at, you know, Skinwalker Ranch, uh, they've experienced all this. And, uh, and we had that, too, in Marley. But... Um, this is an intelligence we're dealing with. The people out there believe it's demonic. And, and a lot of the researchers I've known, and here again, based on my background with Bruce Whitteman in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, we had a, a gentleman involved with MUFON in the beginning, uh, Reverend John Schroeder, which was a very good investigator and ufologist. 
and I learned a lot working with that man. I, I've had a, from a boy, I had, and I just, I will say, I, I grew up as a, in a Catholic church. Uh, I fell away from it for years and not thinking in a million years, I'd be back going where I am with this. But uh, I, as a young boy, I had a Franciscan friar, uh, priest named Father Ildefonse then and some other people uh and of course you know i know you know of father malachi martin right i followed him and there was another dr arnold murray and another gentleman i can't speak his name i wish i could but who actually was uh a seminary student that came from a wealthy family and he actually went they sent him to rome and he knew three he actually knew ancient Hebrew, Koine Greek, and Aramaic. He spoke mm -hmm. it fluently. And uh, so when he worked as a seminary student, and this is how this all ties together, he worked in the Vatican. And, of course, you've heard the stories of the catacombs under the Vatican with all the miles of, you know, I think they've got, Oh, something like 20 miles of catacomb and 55 miles of, of shelving of, you know, documents. Mm -hmm. And they had a problem with mold going in on that. And, and the gentleman I knew actually, they, and I, this is another connection from Bruce and I won't move on. And the people we worked in the, in the government that I will tell you, and there's a lot of people don't want this known that, the, our government still has branches that work very closely with the Vatican. So if I had to go to one place on earth to find out what's going on in the truth, I would go down with some of my friends in those catacombs, I will tell you. But they came away and he had mentioned and told me things. And, and part of the false flag scenario I spoke of, he said is documented there and uh, it's predicted and it's absolutely going to happen. And that's the way disclosure is going to take place. So mm -hmm. you can see the mindset over the years that I had to adjust to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, well, what, what do you think is the most active thing on the ranch or, is it, or on the, I mean, I mean on the property or is it just a whole bunch of stuff? The most active on that? Mm -hmm. uh, I, would, I will tell you that it is the intelligence that works uh, either through cryptids or the phenomena, uh, the, the light beam activity that Ted and I experienced personally. Uh, and here I hate to draw the analogy to close encounters again, but mm -hmm. uh, the, the scene in there with the, the beam of light that hit, you know, the, the truck, uh, Ted and Phillips and I had that. I, I was driving on site and coming back from site two and three on this road out there in the middle of nowhere. And I noticed a light beam coming up behind the vehicle. It overtook our vehicle and filled our vehicle with a pure, most intense white light I've ever seen. I remember looking in the air vents in, in my vehicle, looking down at the dirt in my air vents. And I asked Ted, I said, are you seeing this, Ted? And he said, well, hell yes, I'm seeing this, Tom. And, and we both instinctively jumped out of the vehicle, which wasn't a wise thing to do. And uh, we looked up. We did not see a structured craft at all. And um, we 
and I know a little bit about lighting. I don't know how you'd recreate this effect. I, we both seen the light retracted from the vehicle. Mm -hmm. It had a definite cutoff in white, like a white, you're looking at the bottom of a white wall, sort of, and retract into a pinpoint and like the old twisting reflex action of a camera. And it just went down to a pinpoint and it was out like that. Uh, so Ted got sick that night from it. And I didn't that night. I had health effects from it. Uh, pretty severe health effects after that. Uh, so it is real and it does happen. And the ranchers all told us about that, that effect that that, and they viewed that and had effects from that themselves. So, you know, how do you explain that? Uh. Very interesting. And my question is, because you, you guys obviously want to investigate this place, you know, to, to get the answers. How is the family, you know, how are the families able to live out there with all this going on? Uh, they, they dealt with it over the years. And, and the one thing, the rancher site one, he doesn't actually live on the ranch anymore. He lives uh, about six miles down the road now. Uh, he has for several years. And now the, the property owner and his family do live on site two and three. Uh, but they live on the far end of the property that have had really not much activity at all. And, and I will say that the rancher, the gentleman that passed away, he more or less isolated his family from going on that part of the ranch where the activity was. And, mm -hmm. and they all kind of just, they didn't want to deal with it. So, and they raised cattle on the ranch. And uh, so they all dealt with it, you know, and uh, the caretaker on site one, I will say though, uh, he's experienced so, much, so many things over the years he won't come out. He's got a, a mobile home on the property he lives in and the caretaker won't come out at night. So <laughs> you might say, what good is a caretaker that won't come out at night, but uh, he just can't deal with it anymore himself. And, uh, and when you're out there, you have to be really call him or let him prior know that you're going to be coming up to his trailer. Cause if he's awake at night or he, even if he's asleep, if, if, if something, if you go up and knock on his door or anything to that degree, he, he's, he's just liable to, to shoot through the door. He's so paranoid. So, <laughs> uh, but, but he's the only one that actually lives in the hot spot, you might say. Uh, but, but it's his home, you know, over the years and he just doesn't go out at night. So it's. Well, the question in all this too is, has there, I mean, obviously people get sick on the property, like you were saying, you know, but has anybody ever gotten physically, you know, attacked or anything like that? Uh, not physically attacked. It's always been the byproduct of what, what Ted and I felt was microwave energy. Now, okay. Ted got sick the night after we had that experience, he vomited. And uh, mm -hmm. I felt lucky at the time in hindsight, I wished I'd have had that. I, I ended up, and it sounds very strange, but I can document everything and have. Uh, uh, I went home after a week from that trip, and I started having a burning sensation on my scalp. I couldn't touch my head. And the local doctor tested me for shingles. It wasn't shingles. 
he even had me on pretty strong opiates for pain. And finally, it just went away. But I will tell you that at the time, and I can document this with, I took photos of myself, Ted did, and I have, uh, I, I had dark brown hair. And over a period of a, a month or a little more, my hair turned from dark brown to what you see today, which at times is white or light blonde. Mm-hmm. I had eye troubles. I had a thing called macular cyst, which is beyond cataracts. I had operations for macular cyst and cataracts removed from my eyes. So, uh, and the day, to, the, to this day, my vision changes. Uh, I drive my local eye doctor crazy. Prescriptions one day, my eyes are normal one day. The next week or two, they're, they're terrible. I can't really read or see anything. So that, that exists to this day. My eyes are always changing. So uh, it has, and, and Ted, we more or less proved that it was all due to microwave energy. So <clears throat> that is the problem. Okay. Well, it just strikes me because if it is alien stuff happening, that makes sense, though. Because, I mean, there's so many reports of people um, seeing aliens walk through walls and all this other stuff. And they've got to have some type of machine to make them do that. And the machine has to just manipulate something to, you know, like you say, microwaves or whatever waves they're using to be able to do that stuff. Right. And, you know, you're so right, because now we're dealing, you know, you've heard of the Havana syndrome. Mm-hmm. And that's due in the micro microwave, what they call a microwave auditory effect, which is real. It's real. You know, we've had it used against our state people in other countries, Cuba, and uh, a lot of damage done from that. And, uh, and you know, they found that out back in World War II that some of the technicians working with high-gain high radar, uh, these technicians, if they didn't get out of the way of this sometimes, they started hearing voices and I know you've probably seen where they can actually transmit voices into people's uh, cranium or actually into their head that they hear. Now you can imagine what you could do with that tool, but that was actually accidentally found from radar technicians that were out in the field in world war two. And they start hearing voices from the control room and they said, well, you can't be hearing what we're saying. And they actually were being transmitted by microwave and carried so as a carrier wave so uh you know we're just coming up on that technology now but there again the intelligence that has this it comes across with this uh they have these capabilities so it's 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 a real phenomenon and it is you know i encourage everybody that wants to go out in these investigate these places like this just always have in the back of your mind that uh, there is an element of risk with this. If you get in a real situation, uh, it's no joke, and and you can be affected by this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another question I've been thinking is: Do do these the, the the lights that you talk about? Have people seen them? Like if they were on a road parallel to the ranch or anything, can, can people see them that way? Kind of like the Marfa lights. No, it's um, now the light balls, they do. That's that's seen around this area, you know, various light balls. Uh, the light beam hasn't been, it's just locked in the, these two ranches for whatever mm-hmm. reason. The light balls can be seen at times close proximity to the ranches, like those lights. And uh, 
And, you know, those the light bulbs gets into a whole science. I can tell you that Ted learned when he was overseas for Alan Hynek, believe me, uh, the, the color of the light bulbs, the lights can denote, you know, the blue, the white, even the yellow to a degree are the more benign. Uh, when you get into the red light bulbs, they're the one that has the most energy potential. And they're the ones that Ted found that they are the ones that do the harm all the time. And and they were a precursor in Marley to the unseen force, which was very destructive at, on the ranch. Like I said, knocked down steel gates, uh, trees. And uh, Ted experienced that overseas where the, the red light bulbs could do the most damage. Uh, so there's a whole science to light bulbs, I will tell you. And and it gets so involved, you know, you get in the light bulbs, Ted always felt, and the lights, he felt that that was a technology that evolved to lower the risk factor from the from the days of the structured craft, you know, that Ted loved to do. And we had that in Marlinwoods too, I will tell you, we had structured craft out there. Uh, but Ted always felt that they lowered the risk factor as our technology increased. You know, they lowered the risk factor using the light balls and as sort of a form of ROV. You know, if you got a structured craft, you can track it sometimes. You can get pieces off it, residue. When you're dealing with a light ball, you've got nothing. When it's gone, it's gone. So that was, Ted always felt that that was the explanation why it's morphed into more now light ball activity than structured craft, but there is still structured craft. All right. Let me ask you about the structured craft. Um, how do you know they're there? Have you seen them or how, how that works? Yeah. The, the property owners have had now, I only had one experience where I've seen a brief instant of structured craft. Ted had seen it um, disc out there, two different size ones. Uh, the property owners had had experiences with here again. Uh, and this is, if I'm sure you're familiar with the subject matter, you've heard of these uh, large, very large cylindrical black, more or less tank shapes. Uh, mm -hmm. Some are denoted now the white ones as Tic Tacs, but, but we've had them out there estimation uh, 150 foot in length uh, circular black rows of windows illuminated from internally yellow lights and in all Ted's years, it was the only place he had ever been logged. Uh, witnesses had seen the light balls coming in and out of one of the end of these uh, cylindrical UFOs. Uh, so we have the, the classic disc out at Marley. We have the black cylindrical ones. And, uh, and there are a couple other odd, you know, and, and, and then again, the, the cryptid activity, just you name it, we've had it out there. And uh, so um, it, it still occurs, but not as frequent as the light ball and the portals, I will say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What a fascinating place. I would love to get out to some place like that to investigate. Yeah, it, it, I'll tell you, everybody, and, and you know, there again, uh, Ted kept the place. We felt it to the property owners to keep the location. Uh, the eyewitnesses and Ted had over 200 eyewitnesses that lived in the area. Um, and believe me, they didn't want, and, and there again, at what, what purpose could these people have? 
if they made this up. They, they don't want financial gain. They don't want their name used. They don't even want to be except for us. They don't want to talk to anybody. And, and Ted promised them that we would always keep their location, their names completely secret. And we, the property owners, you know, we, we felt we owed, we owed it to them. And, uh, and so, you know, we just, you know, it, we just feel that that's the least we can do for these people. So, and, and I will tell, tell you that there, over the years, there have been people trying to get out there. A few people found a location. They have no knowledge of where the hotspots are. It's mm -hmm. fenced and gated in. They'll be trespassing. And if they do get on the property, their chances of getting to the hotspots or the areas is very slim. They might see something, but, you know, respect these ranchers wishes and uh just you know and, and they have had people arrested out there that got onto the place i mean the property owner site two and three actually had people pitching a, their tents in the middle of a cattle herd of cattle and he was concerned they were going to get killed out there and at one point he went out one morning and they left all their gear i guess they had a bad run in with a with the livestock out there and uh so I just, I urge people, you know, we were going to, our plan was always to have a series of trail cams or cellular cams, a network on our website, and anybody could go there 24 hours a day and actually help us out, watch for anything going on and report it, log it on the website. And uh, and uh, we were almost going to have that arranged when we had our website up. Of course, we worked with people that required we took our website down which was unfortunate, but, and, but anyway, that, uh, you know, that's why we just felt we owed it to these people to do it like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you think you'll ever get a chance to get back on there? Uh, I, I myself, you know, and, and one or two other team members were, we have, we're allowed, you know, they, they, we're kind of like a family over the years we develop with one another, mm -hmm. but they just don't want to bring any strangers on there now because as the original owners of Skinwalker had found out and the, the new current owner of Skinwalker, the two things that triggered bad activity back then, even on Skinwalker was as you, if you watch the show, you know that uh, when they dig in the ground or dig in the earth or disturb anything, that sets it off and bringing strangers on there also does like Marley. And so the ranchers don't want to stir up anything, you know, that they can't handle again. So, uh, so that's the purpose for that. And, uh, and believe me, I worked years to get people on there to get this presence to film. And, uh, but Ben and Melissa were lucky. They got on there. We did that. And, uh, and, you know, in the future, I hope we can to some degree. We're working on that, but but we'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. What's next for you? Well, I'm like I said, I'm working with uh, actually some good friends of mine, some theologians. We're we're working on uh, the false flag scenario. We're we're trying to put a documentary together on that to warn people that. You know, and this gets in uh, a lot to the religious aspect of this, you know, and and I always say whether you're an atheist or a religious person or not, there's 
there's information here that's important. And, you know, and it even gets into uh, an individual he worked with had known Rod Serling. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the, he did a documentary called UFOs. It has begun. I don't know if you've ever caught that. It's an excellent, I, I urge people to get that and watch it. He, along with other people, have been promised film footage from the government. He started producing that show. Of course, like always, the government backed out. He went along and did that show. Burgess Meredith is on that and narrates it with him. And it's an excellent documentary in ufology, the real thing. Uh, he went as far as he could with that. Now, as far as the false flag scenario goes, the people that knew him, if you remember Twilight Zone, he did an episode on there called To Serve Man. I don't know if you remember that one. I don't know. Uh, it, it, it actually entailed, actually what that was, that was that was his way of putting his thumb in the government's eye for backing out with him. And that was the false flag scenario exactly. It was the, the episode where an alien presence came to Earth and they had a language they couldn't decipher, but the aliens promised mankind. They gave him free energy increased food production, medicine, everything. And at the end of the movie, they said they were here to serve man. Uh, and what had happened was the, the scientist on that was getting on the, the ship to leave for vacation on their planet. And his assistant comes running at the end of the show. She deciphered their book they gave him to serve man. And she yells at the scientist. She said, it's a, the serve man is a cookbook. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that that is their intent and purposes at all, but I will tell you that everybody I worked with and I I'm, was friends at one point with Dr. Carol Rosen, which was Von Braun's assistant, and Werner Von Braun was the father of our rocketry. Uh, Dr. Carol Rosen did lectures on Von Braun warned of the false flag scenario which exactly was that at one point there was going to be an alien presence come to earth to benefit mankind and they would have technologies to give man and uh and believe me our welfare is not their motivation for what they're going to do and um so i i always tell people to when this and i truly believe that we're not far from that event now and they all warned when when mankind is at its worst, they're going to come and they're going to have all the answers and technologies to save mankind. And I like to just put that thought out in people's mind. If you just question this, don't take everything that happens as gospel or truth. Uh, their, their motivation is not our welfare and to help us out. It's more or less a it'll be a structure where we work for them. And uh, so I will tell you that it, this goes into theologians I've worked with and I'm working with now some yet uh, and trying to do a documentary on this again. Mm -hmm. And um, it's extreme, extremely touchy subject matter. And I will tell you to this day, it's not without an element of risk. Uh, I'm glad our show came on tonight and I spoke about this. Several people in the last couple months I've worked with uh, had internet problems as you were experiencing. I've had my phone lines taken out twice and computer problems. Uh, so this is not 
of subject matter that is not, it's, it doesn't go without an element of risk, I will tell you. But, uh, but I'm working on that with people, and I'm still trying to do part of Ted Phillips' research, uh, a project named Project Moonshaft uh, that he was involved in in Slovakia. And I don't know if you've ever heard about that at all. No, tell me. It, uh, just I'll encapsulate this very briefly. Sure. And uh, I'm, I'm shrinking down volumes of material into this. So forgive me if I don't do it justice, which I won't. Uh, but Project Moonshaft uh, involved and this again. Ted got involved with this with Alan Hynek. Uh, they went. There was a man named Anton Horak, which was a Czech mining engineer that escaped from the Nazis in World War II and came to the United States. Uh, his family owned in Slovakia a uh, uranium mine and mines and came from a very wealthy family. And when World War II started, the Nazis took possession of his, his family holdings in his estate. They lived in a virtually a castle. They took over the property and he escaped. He joined the underground and fought the Nazis. He was captured along with two of his men. He escaped again from them. They were wounded. They were shot. And they made it to a very mountainous area in Slovakia. And a sheep herder named Slovak found them, hit them in a, in a cave there, which to this day, and for whatever reason, in Slovakia caves are, it's against the law to explore caves which I think I understand their purpose, but he was a mining engineer. He spoke three languages. He knew machinery. He knew natural geological formations. While they were hid in this cave, in the mouth of this cave for days, he explored the cave father, and which the sheep herder told him not to do. He said it was haunted, uh, but he got in the cave in one part of the cave opened up, he found a huge black cylindrical crescent-shaped object, which there's where the name moon shaft came from. It was shaped like a crescent moon. Okay. Uh, it had a crack in it, a fissure. He had to remove most of his clothing to slip through this crack in this artifact. And he got in there, and several days he went back in there. He dug into the floor of this object. Several feet of debris found fossilized or actual cave bear teeth. Uh, there, and there was stalagmites, stalactites growing on the outside of this man-made, or not man-made, but this uh, instrumentality that's there. Uh, shouldn't have been there in this cave, no explanation. And as he dug down into the bottom remnants in the debris in the cave, he did several feet. When he got almost to the bottom of this, it got a powdery substance and it was light and it, it blew up. The dirt blew up in his face with the warm air. He found a one inch metal grid pattern in the bottom of this. And the man knew machinery geology. He put his ear down to the, to this grid and he described what he could hear as heavy turbines running deep below. Now this makes absolutely no sense. Anyway, he got back to his men at that point. The sheep herder came, got him and his one man had actually died in the cave mouth. And uh, they buried him several feet of, of bloody bandages in the cave mouth. 
which that comes into play with Ted Phillips, I'll, I'll explain. But they got out of the cave, he escaped, came to the, the United States. And this story got to Ted. And of course, Heineck and, and Alan said that, you know, we got to move on this. We got to try to find this cave. And Ted actually made two trips back to this cave. Ted got, he found the bandages in the mouth of the cave. They couldn't get all the way back to the artifact because the Nazis had carpet bombed this area for prisoners at that time. There was a collapse in the cave and Ted was going to go back on the third trip. They had, they were going to get the money and resources to excavate this, to get in there further. And, um, then the Russian, the Russians invaded this area back then, the geopolitical climate turned, and Ted barely got out. The, the Russians almost caught him, his last trip out, so he couldn't go back in. So years later, that was Ted's second project we were working on through the years, through uh, 2001, all the way up to, I'd say, 2000, oh, probably seven and eight. We were getting the funding to go back and um, had a lot of promises and it looked good and some of it fell through. So we were we were working on getting the funding. And um, I, of course, got into this with Ben Hansen and some other another group. We, we were very close in going back there to start this process again. And and what happens now? A war breaks out in that area and the Russians are involved again in that area. So, uh, and I'm still in touch with the people there. And uh, so I hope at some point uh, it'll be doable again. But, and and then I will tell you this story involves uh, Adolf Hitler was looking for this object. The Russians were looking for this object. And there's a whole story, backstory of how they found out about it and what the true purpose of this we believe is and and ted found out over the years there's actually six more of these objects that have been found now all over the world and and we actually believe that this technology that's self-maintaining and uh, over all these years we believe the purpose that, and we actually think that this is part this technology is going to come into play at the end with a false flag scenario that we I spoke of. So that's just some of the projects <laughs> we've been involved in. Well, you're busy. Well, you know what? We'll just have to get you back on to talk more about that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I And it's, uh, Ted always said it's the best. It's the greatest story never told. Uh, and it involves the family of, of Anton Horak. Uh, Madame Curie actually bought her first uranium from his family mm -hmm. and the whole backstory there and, and the Nazi, uh, the pedigree with Adolf Hitler in this area himself looking for this object. Uh, it just, I, I will tell you, it's, it's just a phenomenal story. You, you, you can never, in the man's own writings, Anton Horik, um, mm -hmm. I, I've seen Ted had part of his journal, original written journal, and uh, some of his original drawings, I will tell you that I just have one I always have here. This, this is actually a, his own drawing out of his diary of the moonshaft object there with a fissure at the bottom. Wow. So, uh, and the man drew this himself in the cave. So uh, it, it's the greatest story never told. And it could fill volumes, believe me. 
<laughs> well, we'll absolutely have to get you back on. How's that sound? That sounds good. All right. Well, sir, you have a great Thanksgiving. You too. And thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And and I always leave people just with this bit of advice. They always ask me, you know, if I had one piece of advice, what would it be? And it just mm-hmm. question everything, you know, and uh, just know that you have the authority to be on this side and what comes across doesn't. And that gives you power over what comes across. So just remember that. How can people find you? Uh, my YouTube channel, just Google my name and or go to YouTube and put my name in and you'll, you'll get my channel up there. And I got all free movies there, quite a few movies. You can see Ted's early years. A little documentary was put together in black and white on Ted years ago in his early years. And uh, Moonshaft, I got one there on the history of Moonshaft and Marley Woods and some footage of the, the objects. Uh, so you can view all these free of charge. Okay, cool. Well, thank you very much. And I really appreciate you coming on. And again, have a great holiday. And thank I will you. be in touch to get you back on because I, uh, I want to hear about Moonshot. That would be great. Okay, sir. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Okay. That was a great show. Boy, did I learn a lot. I hope you guys did too. He's a fantastic guest to have on. Tomorrow, of course, I will be here. It's Thanksgiving. Probably you guys probably won't be here, but there's still a show. All right. It's going to be on YouTube over at the YouTube channel, 6.30 p.m. And uh, it's Mr. Steve Aspen is going to be on. And he uh, was abducted by aliens when he was very young. And that, and then he, he had multiple abductions and that spurred him to do re- alien alien abduction research and some of the stuff he's found out is really really eye opening and I think you guys will like what he has to say and find it very interesting. So that will be tomorrow at six thirty p.m. Pacific. Head over to the YouTube site at youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio, and that will get you to the page to where the, it's going to premiere at six thirty p.m. tomorrow. Okay, Pacific. So that'll be tomorrow's show. Now. If for everybody watching, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. And if you're watching from Facebook, again, I'm going to remind you guys real quick, and you enjoy what you see, please hit that follow button and the like button to let me know. And if you're watching from YouTube, please be sure to to uh, click on the little ghost, the, the, the little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. That will pop up the little red subscribe button, and you can subscribe to our shows. We have more than 450 shows over there, and yeah, there are different topics. I'm a journalist. I don't like to do the same topics all the time, so I'm varying topics. You'll see, you know, I even interviewed the, the attorney who defended John Wayne Gacy. How's that grab you? So uh, I've got all that going on over there. So check out the YouTube site, and I'm sure you'll find something that you like. Anyway, I will be back live on Friday. And that will be, of course, Medium Nancy Matz will be with us. It's our casual Fridays. So she's always got some really cool stuff to say. So she'll, and that'll be at 6.30 p.m. as well. Anyway, I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. I really appreciate it. It's Thanksgiving Eve. Don't eat too much tomorrow. And enjoy those parades. So I will see you. And here's some contact information for Thomas. Websites. Marley Woods Facebook group. And Facebook.com forward slash Thomas 
dot m ferrario okay and there's a dot after the m all right guys i will see you on i will see you live friday but i will probably be in the chat room tomorrow recovering from eating all that food right like everybody else would be like like a whale on the couch you know watching tv and so i i can watch the show and talk to you guys so i will be in the chat room tomorrow also a quick note is that uh we're going to start up a discord and discord is a chat room where we can go to after the fact on these shows and you can say anything you want you don't have to be monitored by anybody isn't that cool yeah so I'll let you know the details about the Discord room, and you can join. It's all free to join Discord. All right, I will see you guys on uh, Friday Live. Have a good one.